Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. As you turn to chapter 12 here in Luke's Gospel, This is one of those days where it would be good if you have the app and you can see the slides that I've prepared for this particular study. And in the first slide, you have a picture I think is indicative uh, of what Jesus is going to now say. He is going to confront covetousness. And I think for us, we need to be about the busy of confronting covetousness in our own lives. Uh, And when I say that, I mean no disrespect to anyone or to cast any type of Uh, guilt upon you, but we live in the most materialistic society that has ever existed on the face of the earth. There's never been a whole nation of millions upon millions of people that's had so much, that's been blessed in such a tremendous way. Even in the midst of this pandemic, we are still the most blessed people that God has ever put on the face of the earth. We have more material goods. Uh, Our leftovers could feed a vast majority of the rest of the world if we were to do that with them. Our pets eat better, have a more nutritious diet than than a vast majority of the rest of the people on this planet. And so we, we need to probably take a moment to think about our own lives as we dig in here at verse 13 Jesus is now going to address another thing. You're going to notice over the next several studies that Jesus in this crowd is just simply being asked all these things. He's known as a teacher. He's called Rabboni, which means teacher. And so he's teaching. It's also in its context exactly what Jewish teachers would have done, Jesus being Jewish in a Jewish environment. In that context, a rabbi would settle disputes amongst the people Uh, in their community. And so Jesus is now going to be asked a question and he's going to give us a warning. And that warning is about covetousness. Would you pray with me? And let's thank the Lord for his word and we'll pick up in verse 13 in our journey through, through Luke's gospel. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon me and my family. Lord, this church, this country, And Father, we we never want to take those things for granted. We certainly don't want to do uh, what you expose here, which is to begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver. And so, Lord, would you help us to confront covetousness in our own life? If it's there, God, forgive us. And if we know how to handle things properly, would you help us to be generous, uh, be a giving church, be giving people, that recognize that often we're your hands to that end. And so, Lord, bless us as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people all said, amen. Verse 13 here in Luke chapter 12. And then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabboni, one who instructs, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this seems kind of out of place, doesn't it? This is like... That's kind of weird. That's not a question you just walk up and ask somebody. But remember, Jesus has been teaching them. And so he, in that context, would be one that you would ask about something like this. 
And then it says, but he said to him, verse 14, man, who made me judge or arbiter or arbitrator, excuse me, over you? Who made me the arbitrator over you? You see, Jesus is getting them to confront something that we all have to confront first, and that is, is Jesus Lord? Are you looking to the Lord for answers in your life? Does he actually tell you and speak into your life what it is that you should do in every situation, any situation, in all situations? Part of our problem with our walks with the Lord very often is this issue of lordship. We're fine if Jesus is Lord over maybe our child rearing or our marriage, but is he the Lord over your finances? Is he the Lord over your stuff? Or is your stuff in a category all by itself? It's kind of like, here's my relationship with the Lord, but don't touch my stuff. There are a lot of Christians that live their lives like that, functionally like their finances or their material wealth or the things they possess sit outside of their relationship with the Lord, and thereby they want to govern that, and Jesus gets what's left over. And so Jesus addresses this. Because there's nothing wrong with wealth. And Jesus is going to make that very clear. There's nothing wrong with having a wonderful home and nice cars and bank accounts full of money. The question is, who is Lord over those things? Do you think they're yours? Or do you recognize they're still his? Might be a shock for some of us today. You don't own a thing. Whatever is in your possession still belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It belongs to the Lord. You're a steward over it. And so what he's given you, he's given you for his purposes. It should never become an object of worship. And yet, unfortunately, in our country especially, it does exactly that in a lot of Christians' lives. And he said to them, He's speaking to the man. Now he's going to address the whole crowd. Take heed. Listen up. Watch for this. Beware of covetousness. Notice he doesn't say beware of having too much money. Doesn't say beware that your house is too nice or your car is too nice or you have too nice. It doesn't say that. And we're going to see this very clearly explained in what follows. The issue is not the stuff itself. The issue is how you view the stuff. The the issue is how you view resources, money, all those kinds of things. It says, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Now that flies in the face of the American way of life. Because for a vast majority of people, life does consist of the abundance of things possessed. We often are even identified, well, I live here, or I have this, or I got that car, or he went to Jared. We we have all those things at play in our lives, don't we? It's like, it's mind-boggling to me, the amount of stuff that we actually have. And we're going to dig into this a little bit in our time together this morning. And so the first thing that we see here, and if you have that app and you've pulled out that PowerPoint, you notice I embedded 
the proverbial donkey chasing a carrot picture in there. And this is exactly what it is, and here's how it works. If you're sitting on that donkey and you've got a stick and there's a carrot hanging on the end of it, every time the donkey moves, the carrot moves, amen? And that is the way with material things in life. No matter how many of them you have, very few people actually want less than what they actually have already. And so the goal is always moving. There's always a bigger car. There's always a bigger house. There's more money. There are more things. There's more clothes. Uh, If you want to see this, for most of us, one only needs to go and compare our American closets with the closets of Europeans. One of the things that normally shocks people when they begin to move to Europe for the first time, they're going to live there, is they don't have walk-in closets. They have amois. They have a single cabinet, and typically that's for two people, and in it is all of the clothes that they possess. Why? They buy quality, not quantity. They'll get a really nice jacket, two pairs of shoes, couple of pairs of pants, handful of shirts, and they mix them up. And while I'm not saying it's evil that you happen to have a closet completely full of clothes, how many of us have clothes that we've kept in that closet? Well, I can't give that away. I mean, that was one of the first pair of shorts I ever bought. Or I, I happen to have a collection of T-shirts from all of the camps and retreats. And stuff. It's like this, it's two stacks this high. I could clothe a small army with the number of T-shirts that I, that I have. And so I periodically have to go, oh, yeah, it, it was that. You know, I give it away. Do something with it. We, almost all of us, if we really stop to think about it, at times kind of hang on to things or possess things that we really don't need. And this message comes to us every single moment of every day. Has anyone noticed that since we've been locked down in this pandemic, that the ads on like Instagram and Facebook and television have actually increased about all the things that you just got to have? I keep getting these... I, I, I'm one of those people, I buy a wallet, and I get rid of the wallet when it no longer holds the things I put in it. That's me. I just, that's just the way I am. It's like it fits exactly in my pocket the way I want it, and so I take stuff out of it. But man, there's like $235 for a wallet that fits in my, it's like, are you nuts? And yet there's like 400 ads on there. Pairs of shoes. Look. I'm one of those people. I go down to Skechers down the street, get the two-for-one, and hope I got a coupon on top of it. Amen? But what happens is we get a closet full of those things. It's like, well, you know, those are a different color than those over there. And before you know it, we got to have, we got to have, we got to have, we got to have. And that comes out of a heart that I think sometimes needs some adjustment. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Not everyone who has that same type of situation in their closet necessarily is looking at it from the wrong perspective. But we do need to be careful. And the reason we need to be careful is because we can end up with a greedy heart. Can I just give you a word of encouragement? Just because it's on sale doesn't mean you need it. Amen? Sometimes you end up like we have right now. You probably have neighbors 
that are wishing they hadn't coveted toilet paper because they still have a mountain in their garage. Some of you probably are living next to people who also have four or 500 cases of bottled water because they got all caught up and, oh, you know, that, that, that is that heart that says, well, there might not be any next week. Where that shows up, church, is that sometimes it turns into a lack of faith and sometimes it puts us in that place where we begin to worship that stuff. It's like you go out in your garage and it's like, yeah, I got toilet paper mountain right here in my garage. It's like a new ride at Disneyland. You see, we have to be careful because Satan loves the love of stuff. Why? Because it detracts from the love of God and the love of people. Pretty soon you will trade the stuff for the love of God and the love of people. And so Jesus gives us a, a warning, and then he's going to explain this with a parable. Look, we, we sometimes get our ecstasy of spirit by looking at the things that we might possess, and we take pleasure in them instead of the one who gave them to us. H. Ross Perot, some of you who are a little older than some of the rest of you may remember he had two failed bids for president, one in 92 and one in 96. He died last year. But he was a philanthropist, and he was one of those guys that drove cars until the wheels came off of him, had all kinds of things, and he really had it in perspective as far as his wealth. He was a multi-billionaire. He started a company called Electronic Data Systems, which eventually got sold, I believe, to General Electric, and uh, made several billion dollars from the sale of that, which in the 1990s was a whole bunch of money, amen? And then he took that money and invested in a little company that you probably are almost all supporting called Apple. I think he did pretty well when he, he gave that money to Steve Jobs. But he said this. He was writing an article in Fortune magazine a number of years ago, and he said, He's addressing a bunch of entrepreneurs at this conference. He said, guys, just remember, if you get real lucky, if you make a lot of money, you'll go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. If you've got the biggest, fanciest mansion in the world, it has air conditioning, it's got a pool, just think of all the pumps that are going to go out. Or if you have a yacht basin, you go there. Notice how nobody's smiling? Let me tell you why. Something just broke this morning. The microwave... Maybe something that you use. And he, he went on to say this. He said, things just don't mean happiness. That's a paraphrase of what Jesus is getting at. Because for a believer, especially, not just for everyone, which it really does generally apply to all of humankind, for us our happiness does not come from stuff. Our contentment doesn't come from stuff. It comes from the Lord. And so Jesus is now going to highlight this particular issue in our lives. It's, it's not the desire for things that's appropriate. It's the lust for things. It's the love of things. It's the replacing of God and people and relationship with things that's the problem. 
And so he says, moving on from verse 15, where he says, Beware of covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, pretty much what Ross Perot said. And then he spoke a parable to them. So now he's going to do classic Jesus-style teaching. He's going to illustrate what he just said with a story. He's going he's to let them start thinking about what he said from a little different perspective. And he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain man, rich man, yielded plentifully. Now there's nothing wrong with that, amen? I would pray that if you had a field, you have a garden, you plant something in it, you would want it to produce more, not less, amen? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting a nicer home or a nicer car. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that particular concept. But there is a problem when it goes to a different place. And notice how this continues, Jesus speaking. And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now it starts to shift gears a little bit. The issue is not the plentiful ground. The issue is, how do I keep all that I have? How do I hang on to everything I've got? How is it that I can profit and continue to profit and have all these things and we get to see a glimpse of his heart and what follows? Since I don't have any room to store my crops. And so he said, referring to what he's previously said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Now, there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with that statement in and of itself. If you've got a business and the business gets bigger, it's not bad that it got bigger. But notice how Jesus explains the problem. And I will say to my soul, here's the man. I will say to my soul, what is the soul primary in its purpose supposed to do? It is where we connect with God it's the eternal part of you. It's where salvation happens. It's how we relate to God. It's where the Spirit speaks into our lives. And so this man is now going to say something that's indicative of the real problem. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, when your soul starts turning to the things you have, the good things that you have, and begins to worship them instead of worshiping God, therein lies the actual problem. And I think that's the one that most of us at times will struggle with. But God said to him, fool, and this is a word for each of us, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things which you have provided be? Whose will they be then? <laughs> Here's the answer, not yours. Maybe it'll be your family, maybe it'll be somebody else. But when you get to heaven... You're not dragging your stuff with you. You're not going to show up with like 400 suitcases and your house put in a couple of cargo containers. You're going to get to erect it in heaven. You are going to need it there. And so Jesus is making this case between the temporal and the eternal. 
between the here and now and the hereafter, between that which is temporary and that which is absolutely eternal. And this is the area where we have to look at all the things that we possess and, and say, have I looked at this properly? Am I handling my resources properly? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. This man had a soul problem. It's a sickness that we could call in our day and time really materialism. Because at the heart of all of this is the love of stuff. It's the love of things. It is those closets full of clothes that we don't need. It is the homes and things that we possess that we end up serving and worshiping instead of the Lord. I've had countless, and I mean countless, conversations with husbands and wives, husbands by themselves, wives by themselves, families together over this particular issue. And their lives are coming apart at the seams, but their whole focus is on trying to save their, their legacy of stuff. It's like, well, we, we'd, we'd love to do that, but we can't. We're so busy. We'd love to go to marriage counseling, but we can't. We're, we're working nine jobs. We, we, we'd love to do more for the Lord, but we can't. We're just too busy with the things of this life. And that is actually the issue that Jesus is addressing here. It's not the, the basic needs that we have. It's not the things that God's given you. It's the attitude with which we possess anything and everything that we have. And that's everything from a whole bunch, like the Ross Perot's of the world, the Bill Gates of the world, the Elon Musk's of the world, or the people who have nothing, but they're absolutely content in, in what the Lord has given them. And both Connie and I have had the privilege of hanging out with people who have nothing, but they're absolutely content with all that they have, which is nothing. They still love the Lord. They still love their neighbors. They, they still give away what they have to help other people when they don't have anything. That's the right heart. And see, that heart is supposed to make it to the rich person. But sometimes that doesn't work that way. And so Jesus reminds us to be aware of this. And again, it, it, it's, it's insane to me sometimes when I think of what we think we have to have. U.S. News and World Report does a, a list every single as they do with all kinds of lists, like the best hospitals and all that kind of stuff. But they, they do an annual list of things that we can't live without. And this one is, is from last year. On the top of the list was smartphones. This is the things we have to have. Portable computing devices. That would be things other than your smartphone that also do what your smartphone does. iPads tablets, personal computing, things of that nature. High-speed internet, these are the top 10. They surveyed over 10,000 people. What things can't you live without? Higher education. Movies. I have no idea how that one got in there. Movies. TV. And not just any TV, a TV in excess of 54 inches in diagonal measurement. And it needs to be 4K. <laughs> Music downloads. 
pets. Now, some of you are going, yes, pets, yes. They ask a subsequent question. Let me tell you why pets is a really, really disturbing answer to me. Bear in mind, I am a pet lover. We have two Labradors. Love them. The reason that was listed was I don't have children. My pets are my kids. Why is that important? Because we have a declining birth rate because people aren't having children because they think children will get in the way of their collection of stuff. So much so that the average age when a woman gives birth has gone up seven years since the 1960s. We are not having enough children to even replace our population here in the United States of America. We've joined Japan in that list. So great, pets are great. But God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. There actually is a biblical command that children are part of the plan that God has for most people. Number nine was alcohol. These are needs. Number 10 is the only one on the list that I think was from God. Coffee. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It's like, how many of us, you get up in the morning, it's like, I can't have coffee. I'm not sure I can even function. As we get older, that might actually be true. You may just get up in the morning and fall over in your front lawn. I don't know. But we've kind of got that space and place in our lives, especially in our American culture, where I think we've kind of missed what needs are. And we've replaced it with a lot of wants. We aren't able to actually distinguish in a way that's meaningful, I think. In that sense, I think sometimes we're addicted to stuff. You know, Jesus, as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, that's why he said, do not worry. And then he qualified that about what you should eat or what you should drink or what you should wear. And after all these things the Gentiles seek, and, and Jesus went on to tell us, your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you do. So it's not an issue of God being stingy or not wanting to give us the things that we really need. It's do we actually need the things that we're placing our time, talent, and treasure in acquiring? And what place do they hold once we have them? why Paul, writing to Timothy in the pastoral epistles there in 1 Timothy 6, said, command those who are rich in this present age to not be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches. Why would he say that? Because riches are an uncertainty. They might be here and might be gone tomorrow. I've lived long enough to go through a couple of stock market trashes. I've gone through a housing devaluation. I've watched people who one day were very well off to the next day going, I have no idea what I'm going to do in retirement. That's because riches in general are uncertain. It's a, it really does boil down to, for a believer, how do we handle those things that God gives us? But Timothy would go on to write, or Paul would write to Timothy, but God gives richly all things for us to enjoy. In other words, we, we have the things that God wants us to have in a general sense, 
most of the time. Now, it's not saying that there aren't inequities. It's not saying there isn't poverty. It's not saying that things aren't unfair. It's not saying that life treats everybody the same way. But it is saying that the same God who is in heaven that watches over the person who has much watches over the person who has little. And God doesn't make mistakes. The question is, what do we do with and how do we handle what God has given us? There's where we have to be a little more careful, I think. And I, I speak even to myself at times. You know, Connie, I've been married a very long time. And sometimes people will look at what we have and they'll go, oh, yeah. well, we've been married. We're, we're heading towards our fifth decade of marriage. We might possibly have accumulated a few more things than newlyweds. But you know what's really crazy? Every once in a while, we'll go through our closets any of you moved and moved boxes of stuff and then you move again, you move the same box of stuff and then you move again, you move the same box of stuff and you look in that box and you don't even know what it is or where it came from or why you have it? Or perhaps you look in that, and, and let's do some confession here. How many of you have a Tupperware cabinet? Okay, so some of you know what I'm saying, some of you don't. How many of you have Pyrex glassware? That's the same category. How many of you got that stuff when you got married? And how many of you haven't had the lids for that Tupperware for 12 years now? It no longer does anything. But you keep it because you think someday you might find the lid to that particular Tupperware. It's that special one that holds the whole head of lettuce with the round, you know what I'm saying? You, you see, sometimes we just hang on to stuff because it's like, well, you know, I bought that then, or I got this there, or it was given to us as a wedding gift. All those types of things have some attachment, but when you've got a whole closet full of it and you have no idea what's in the closet, or worse yet, here's what we do. We go buy a whole new set because we don't know what's in that closet. That's the type of mentality I think Jesus is talking about. He says, your Father in heaven knows what you have need of. And sometimes we just simply want what we want because we want it. We want the latest. We want the greatest. An example of that is cell phones. I'm shocked at how many people say, well, you know, the new iPhone 12 XS B2.75A came out this week. And I'll look at him and go, isn't that like $1,500 for a cell phone? Well, yeah, but you know, it's got the crystal clear supervision thing. You can take pictures of Mars with it. It's like, yeah, I take pictures of Mars all day. I don't know what I've been able to do without that one. But we get so caught up in the latest and greatest, the newest and best, that we forget that the resources we use to purchase that belong to Jesus. Maybe that's the reason you can't afford to have the car fixed. Uh, I'm shocked. This God that we call a cell phone. And we don't have the other things we need. And I think Jesus is speaking that into our lives through this. You see, the truth of the matter is, Every person sitting here today, in a global sense, is fabulously wealthy. Fabulously wealthy. 
and, and it, for sake of time, I'm not going to belabor this, but you can go to the World Bank or you can go to worldwealthcalculator.org and put in what you make and kind of see where you fall. But let me give you a, a couple of highlights here. In this state, in the state of California, if you get public assistance at its lowest level, in other words, you have nothing and, and the state is giving you a little money to get by, that's more than $10,000 a year. It's a little more than $1,000 a month per person. So if it's just you, that makes you wealthier than 81% of the whole rest of the world. If you make $50,000 a year, which here in California, the median income so that you would not qualify for any public assistance is $68,000 a year. But if you make $50,000 a year, you are wealthier than 98% of the whole rest of the world. If you by chance should make $75,000 a year or more, you are in the top one-half of 1% of all wage earners in the entire world. So when we throw around things like the one percenters, you might want to look in the mirror in the morning because you are a one percenter, highly likely, if you live here, especially in L.A., because two, count them two, minimum wage jobs, 40 hours a week, puts you in the top 98% of wage earners in the entire world. Does that mess with your heads a little bit? It should. Because when Jesus writes these things, he's not writing to Californians. He's not even writing to Americans. He's writing to everybody in the entire world. The word of God is for everyone. It's not just for us who live here in California. And so this is important for us. Because I think sometimes we forget how good we actually have it. Now, having said that, I fully recognize and realize that there are problems with inequity, there's problems with wage earning, there's problems with gender wage earning, there's all kinds of things that exist. But don't miss the bigger point. The bigger point is God wants us to be thankful for everything we already have and to treat it with a biblical perspective which is he is good and he wants us to use what he's given us for his glory and not worship the things of the world. Because it generally is when I begin to look at the things of the world that I start to regret or, or have angst about the things that the Lord's allowed into my life. And it is that issue that Jesus deals with. It's a heart issue, isn't it? It was a soul issue for this rich man. That's why he said to his soul, soul, look, we're going to be happy if we just have bigger barns. If we can just store all this stuff up, then I won't have to worry about a thing. We can eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of our days. That's a soul issue because now you're satisfied in the stuff and you're not satisfied in the Lord. And it's not that you can't have stuff and be satisfied with the Lord. That's not it at all. You can have both of those things. But Jesus highlights the plight of this man in this parable because he had said, I'm going to trust my stuff. I'm going to put my hope and my trust in these things that I possess. 
That's why Jesus said, beware of covetousness, needing more than you already have. You see, the issue is internal, it's not external. That's why Paul writing there in Philippians 4, interesting, most of you probably know verse 13 of that chapter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, amen? Most of us know that. If you've been a believer for very long, you probably know that. It's on half of the professional athletes' t-shirts or someplace on their shoe. It is, it is something that even the world, I can do all things through Christ, or they'll change it to God who strengthens me, even though it says Christ clearly. But it's interesting what's before that. Paul writing said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to have absolutely nothing. Nothing. Abased is a state, it's a condition that, that puts you in, in the lowest category of humanity. It's like I don't have anything, nothing, and nowhere to go. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and hungry. You know, in our house, we, 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 think, we're, we think we're hungry when we run out of Dodger peanuts. It's like, oh no, we got to go to... Over to bonds, we got to get some more. Both to abound and to suffer need. Then it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the focus of that verse is being content. You're not going to be strong in Christ if you're discontent. You're not going to accomplish much in Christ if you're discontent. If material wealth drives you, if things drive you, you're going to be discontent. You're going to sit there and look at what you have and you're going to bemoan what you don't have. And this shouldn't be for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't attempt to do better. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to want a new home and a new neighborhood. It doesn't mean that you should not want to have your car replaced or get a new cell phone. It means that you should not worship those things and you should not be discontent with what you have today and that's what drives you to look for more. You should say, God, thank you that I'm not starving. God, thank you I have a roof over my head. God, thank you that I have clothes at all. One time I was traveling through the favelas of, outside of Sao Paulo. I was going between two airports. And there's a whole section of the, of the city that's built along, that's kind of a slough, it's a waterway. And it's just back to back to back to back slums. And we had a chance to go and minister there. I, I, I still to this day, I just, I can't even hardly talk about it. How do you, how do you get to the place how do you get to the place to where we whine about what we have when you see little kids that are two and three years old without their parents scavenging in a garbage dump, fighting wild dogs for food? How do we get there? Well, I'll tell you how we get there. Because we start focusing on material wealth and we forget how good we have it. We forget how good we have it. You know what? It is hot right now. I bear witness, if you're out there sweating, in Jesus' name, I'm with you. It's hot. It's H-O-T hot, okay? 
But can I tell you, this is not the first church service to be held outside when it's H-O-T hot. Matter of fact, the first century church, all churches were H-O-T hot. They were in the Jordan River Rift Valley, which begins in the African continent. It is the deepest hole on the face of the earth. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on the face of the earth. It frequently exceeds 120 there. It's rather like our Palm Springs Palm Desert area. Salt and sea. Church didn't have AC. Church didn't have seats. The church had rocks and bushes and people who loved Jesus. So I think the Lord is reminding us to be content. And so to that end, it's always good for us to run a little diagnostics on ourselves. Proverbs 30 reminds us that one of the things we should pray for is, Lord, don't give me poverty and really don't give me riches. Very few people can handle it. But give me what I need. The writer there, Agar, the, the, the psalmist that, that's writing this wonderful piece that we call the book of Proverbs, a wisdom literature, in verse 9 of Proverbs 30 says, lest I be full and deny you. That's the reason. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Lest I be full of myself and deny you. In the parable of the soil, Jesus reminded us of the same thing. It's like, look, if you, if you have too much, if worldly riches come in, deceitfulness of those riches, they can choke out the word of God in your life. Pretty soon you're not, you're not resting in the Lord. You're not trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in your stuff. It's also why Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, having food and clothing with these things, we should be content. Now, does that mean that you can't have an extra pair of pants? No, of course not. Does it mean that you can't have a nice car? No, it does not mean that at all. It, it means that we need to make the right decisions and run the right kind of diagnostics, and it really does mean that those things will never satisfy you. You'll never have enough of them. There's never going to be enough of possessions because our flesh loves them and Satan knows it. It can give us a false sense of security to where we no longer really trust the Lord. You know, there's things that I've learned from being broke that I would have never learned if God had just continually given us riches. I will never forget Got to the end of our time in business. All these things had gone on within my own family. And I came home and I had to confess to my wife that we had $25 left to our name. We had been multimillionaires. We had 25 bucks left. Caused us to turn to the Lord. It's probably the thing, if you want to look at it, that said... Jeff, were you done? You done trying to chase after the world? You know better than this. Yes, Lord. So, church, keep those material possessions in their proper place. You see, this man made the wrong decision. He wasn't just being shrewd in business. That, that wasn't the issue. He had to deal with the desires that were inside of him. He had to have a, a balance of those things. And so I 
speak to you today as one who's walked down that road a couple of times. Henry David Thoreau was correct when he said, that man is richest whose pleasures are cheapest. Sometimes I look back at our early married life and it's like, you had nothing and nowhere to go and it was like, like every day was an adventure. It's like who knew what tomorrow was going to bring? And I look at the time when we've, we've had the, the most possessions and they were the most miserable time in our entire walk with the Lord. So be careful. There's a reason that Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 or in verse 10. And make sure you interpret this correctly. The love of money, not money itself, not possessions itself, not a car, not a house, not a bank full of money, the love of that stuff is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say it's evil, doesn't say it's bad. It says that the love of it is the beginning, it's the root, it's the stuff that's tapped into this world that brings all kinds of other things in your life. How many divorces have happened over money? How many children have gone the wrong way because of wealth? How many, how many people have put themselves in horrible situations because in the attempt to keep wealth, they lied, they cheated, they deceived, they stole. You see, loving money too much can cause you to compromise your character. And so Jesus is simply saying, make sure that you have the balance between the eternal and the temporal correct. Because if you don't, then you're going to struggle with covetousness. You're going to look at what other people have. You're going to say, I have to have that. You might even look at this, man, this guy died when he had everything going for him. Well, he had everything going for him, but he traded it in. In his heart, he said, look, I, I want that stuff more than I want God. And that can be fatal, eternally. It's the difference between having a, an attitude that says, I'm looking towards the next life, and one that simply says, I want what I can get out of this life. There's a slight difference in time that you're going to spend here on this earth and eternity. Can I just tell you that? You're going to be in eternity for eternity. You're probably going to be here on this earth less than 100 years. Most of you less than 90. A pretty good chunk of us around 80. Some of us 70. And a lot of us aren't going to, you're not making it home. I don't know. I can't tell you. No man knows when, it, when you're tired. I don't know when Jesus is going to punch my ticket. I have no idea. Do I have an eternal perspective on stuff? Or is my soul enticed by the things of this earth? If I have an eternal perspective, then everything I have takes its right place. I use it for his glory whether that's a car or it's a bank account or whatever it is. It's one of the glorious things about what we are as a church. When Pastor Alex was talking about churches, we're not talking about one or two. We're talking about 65 of them all over the world. We're talking about nine orphanages that you all support every month. All over the world. We're talking about Bible colleges all over the world. That's because I think a vast majority of us have the right perspective on these things. We're looking at things eternally. Say, Lord, 
Help us to live for your glory. Help our souls to be focused on you and not on the things of this earth. Where you invest your time and your talent and your treasure, that's where your heart is. It's a real easy formula. Look at your time, your talent, and your treasure. Where that is focused, that's your God. So if your focus is on this earth, then at least to some degree you're worshiping here. If your time is God's, if your talents are God's, if your treasure is God's, and you will do whatever he asks with all those things, that's the right perspective. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Beware of covetousness. That's you wanting what other people have and trying to hang on to it for yourself. Don't do it. It's a dead-end road. It leads to misery. That's why Jesus said, look, I already know what you have need of. I'll give that to you. You make sure that I can control everything that's in your possession. That's going to be really good. Amen? Just stand and we'll close in prayer. Let me pray for you. And I pray no one is beat up by these things, but maybe some of you are challenged. I do pray that each of us will take it to heart and recognize we have a responsibility to be doers of the word, amen? Not just hearers, doers. Father, thank you. You've been so good to us. And Lord, there probably are some of us that are doing a bit of repenting right now in our hearts, maybe for our attitudes. And Lord, we, we know that you're swift to forgive and to put mercy upon us. And so for those that need to do that, God, I pray their hearts have been inclined towards you. And God, as they move forward in their life, I pray that you would bless them abundantly so that they'd have plenty to give to those who have need. Lord, for those that are generous and, and have this, it's good. They're already living this principle. They have no covetousness in them. Would you bless them with more? Because they'll be faithful with it. With it. And Father, for those that are struggling, I pray that every person that's listening to this now, both here in person and online, that needs a job, God, I pray from the glories of heaven that you'd open up an opportunity for them, put them right through that door, and bless them. Pray for those that are struggling, maybe in their home, to provide for the things that uh, you, you want them to have. God, would you just give them everything that they have need of? But Lord, don't let us substitute blessings for you. Let us always look to the giver and not just to the gifts. Thank you for being so richly good to us. We bless your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.